0: We have come to Lord's Day 11. The question is asked in Lord's Day 11, why is the Son of God called Jesus, meaning Savior? Because He saves us from our sins and because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. Do those who look for their salvation and security in saints, in themselves or elsewhere, really believe in the only Savior, Jesus? No. Although they boast of being His, by their actions they deny the only Savior, Jesus. Either Jesus is not a perfect Savior, or those, or those who in true faith accept this Savior have in Him all they need for their salvation. Let's open the Word of God now to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. I trust a familiar chapter to most of you begins with the genealogy. And we're focusing on verse 21 this morning in connection with Lord's Day 11, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Amminadab. Amminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam, Rehoboam begot Abijah, and Abijah begot Asa, Asa begot Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham, Jotham begot Ahaz, and Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh, Manasseh begot Ammon, and Ammon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot Abiud, Abiud begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor. Azor begot Zadok, Zadok begot Achim, and Achan begot Eliad, Eliad begot Eleazar, Eleazar begot Mathan, and Mathan begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, from David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations, and from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. Do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's our text, verse 21. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. When a couple receives a child from the Lord sometimes it can be a a bit of a challenge coming up with a name that is acceptable to both husband and wife what do people do when when they can't agree upon a name some people get a name book and start paging through it putting a check mark beside the names they like then they work through the book several times until they narrow it down to something that they can both accept Others name their child after someone in the family, perhaps a name that has been in the family for several generations. Then again, there are parents who select a name because it's popular, or because of some famous person, or simply because they like the sound of it. Well, Mary and Joseph certainly had no problem coming up with a name for their son. There were no lengthy discussions or no searching through name books to come up with an acceptable name they didn't name him after someone in the family they didn't select a name that was popular or a name that had a nice ring to it in fact mary and joseph had no part whatsoever in selecting a name for their son an angel of the lord who announced mary's pregnancy also gave some very clear instructions instructions which had come directly from the throne room of heaven the angel said you shall call him jesus In the ancient world, names were taken more seriously than they are here today in North America. Names were meant to express something about that person. The great prophet at the time of King Saul was named Samuel. Why was he named Samuel? His mother Hannah said, because I have asked for him from the Lord. The name Samuel was a reminder of answered prayer. The great leader of Israel in the wilderness was named Moses. Why, children? Why was he named Moses? Because he was drawn out of the water. In the New Testament, we read of a man named Joseph, whom the apostles named Barnabas, renamed Barnabas. Why did they call him Barnabas? Because he was a son of encouragement. His name reflected his character. He was an encourager. You see, brothers and sisters, names in Hebrew society were often very meaningful. And that was especially so for that baby born in Bethlehem in the days of Caesar Augustus. The baby had to be called Jesus. Why did he have to be called Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. In the short name, Jesus, just five letters, we have a summary of the gospel. Indeed, a summary of the Christian faith. In that name, we have the greatest message in the universe. It is a name that gives comfort for today and hope for the future. Comfort in life and in death. The hymn writer said, That name hath brought salvation, that name in life our stay, our peace, our consolation, when life shall fade away or as another hymn writer puts it that beautiful name that beautiful name from sin has power to free us that beautiful name that wonderful name that matchless name is Jesus today we want to ponder this matchless name a name that recalls our depravity number 1 a name that reveals our deliverance number 2 and briefly a name that requires our devotion, number three. What an amazing experience it must have been for both Mary and Joseph to see an angel and to hear him speak. There are five appearances of an angel associated with the birth of Jesus. First, the appearance of the angel Gabriel to Zachariah while he was ministering in the temple. Gabriel announced the coming of the forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist. Second, there was the appearance of Gabriel to Mary. Gabriel was sent by God to Nazareth to announce the coming of the Messiah himself. Third, there was also the appearance of an angel to Joseph. He explained Mary's pregnancy and provided instructions for the naming of the child. Fourth, an angel appeared to the shepherds who were watching their sheep on the hillsides of Bethlehem. The angel announced to them the birth of Christ and where he was. And immediately following the announcement, there appeared a multitude of angels praising God. And then fifth, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, warning him to take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt to save him from the wicked plans of Herod. Five appearances of an angel associated with the birth of Jesus. One of the remarkable things about the appearances of these angels is the fact that God's people had received no revelation from God in more than 400 years. The prophetic voice had been silent more than 400 years. In the history of Israel, there had been many revelations from the Lord. God spoke to his people and made promises and reminded his people of those promises through prophets, priests, kings, visions, angels, miracles, and so on. But at the time of Joseph and Mary, all revelation had ceased for more than 400 years. The Old Testament ends with a prophecy of Malachi And since the conclusion of Malachi's prophetic task, no one had been raised up with a message from God. Four hundred years of silence. For the faithful in Israel, it must have seemed as though God had forgotten His covenant promises. He had forgotten His covenant people. Why was He silent? Why was there no revelation, no prophetic voice? But then, after 400 years God once again spoke to his people five appearances of an angel with all all having the same message the messiah is here the messiah is here we can't imagine how Joseph and Mary felt when they heard the heavenly messenger who came and broke the silence with his extraordinary message You will be the parents of the Messiah. Mary, you will be the mother of the Christ. Joseph, you will be his legal father. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, brothers and sisters, As Joseph and Mary, on separate occasions, received the instruction to call their son Jesus, they were immediately reminded, weren't they, of the depravity of the human race? When you reflect upon the meaning of the name, doesn't it remind you of your own depravity? Jesus is the New Testament form of the Old Testament name, Joshua, which means... Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is salvation. Mary and Joseph had to call the child Jesus because his whole purpose for coming into this world was to rescue depraved and hell-deserving sinners. This name Jesus reminds us that in ourselves we are poor, needy, helpless, lost, depraved sinners. We are separated from God at enmity with him, children of wrath who cannot commune with him. Our natural condition is such that we are stained with guilt and corruption. The bond of covenant fellowship between us and our creator is broken. In Psalm 14, the psalmist said, they have all turned aside, they have together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. The Apostle Paul takes up those words in Romans 3 as he describes the human race under sin, both Jews and Greeks. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who does good, no, not one. The prophet Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The name Jesus reminds us that every man, woman, and child who has entered this world is stained with sin. And those stains are so deep and so wide that no man is able to cleanse or cover them. We are, in our fallen state, unacceptable to God and unable to save ourselves. The entire human race in Adam is helpless, hopeless, and alienated from the life, love, and joy of God. We are covenant breakers, lawbreakers, God-haters. In congregation, because the descendants of Adam are lawbreakers and God-haters, this world is filled with misery and sorrow. We see brokenness everywhere, everywhere. As we're sitting here today, how many wars are being fought throughout the world? How many people have to flee from their communities? How many homes are troubled with disputes and arguments? How many marriages are broken? How many children are left alone and forsaken? How many young people are filled with despair because of unfaithful parents? And how many, in their despair, turn to friends who are just as troubled as they are, or in their anguish they turn to sexual immorality, drinking, partying, or drugs? The use of various drugs on college campuses is alarming many college students are exper- experimenting with dangerous and psychologically addicting drugs many young people are trying it out because it makes them feel happy peaceful pain-free and energized but thousands each year end up in emergency rooms dehydration Organ and brain damage, even death has been the result. Many are using it because it helps to eliminate personal pain and suffering. An easy escape, it makes them feel good. Brothers and sisters, this world is filled with pain and suffering because the descendants of Adam, all of us are by nature lawbreakers and God-haters. It is said that AIDS has orphaned millions of African children. Most of the children who have lost one or both parents to AIDS are left without protection, guidance, or support. And many of them suffer from malnutrition, physical and sexual abuse, and exposure to HIV infection. And here in Canada, governments have thrown millions and millions of dollars into AIDS research while largely ignoring a major part of the problem, immoral, unbiblical lifestyle choices. We are also living in a time of incomprehensible suffering due to human trafficking. It is estimated that it is now a multi-billion dollar industry I read the other day that there are more people trapped in slavery today than at any other point in human history. It occurs in virtually every country of the world, forced labor, commercial sex trade and forced marriages. There are currently some 50 million people who live in modern slavery and about a quarter of all victims are children. Congregation, it is in the midst of all this brokenness, pain, suffering, disease, exploitation, and hatred that this name, Jesus, shines brightly. The name not only recalls our depravity, but it also reveals our deliverance. It reveals our deliverance. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The angel told Mary and Joseph that this child was coming into the world on a rescue mission. He is the one, the only one, who can save lawbreakers and God-haters. He can deliver us from sin and the miserable consequences of sin. He is the second Adam who brings life to those who are dead. Cleansing for those who are stained and filthy, and reconciliation with the majestic, holy Lord of the universe. Throughout the centuries, people have tried to improve the condition of the human race through man-centered philosophy, science, education, humanitarian efforts, communism, and religions of every kind. People have tried to find answers and solutions to the problems that plague the human race. Many volumes have been written by philosophers and religious leaders trying to provide some kind of system to improve the human condition. And to be sure, there are those who have made some positive contributions to alleviate human suffering in various ways. But congregation, the only true, lasting, and satisfying answer is found in the name Jesus. God sent His only begotten Son into the world to do what no one else could do. When Joseph and Mary called their son Jesus in obedience to the command of the angel, they were uttering a prophecy. The name Jesus was prophecy. It proclaimed the mission of this child. You might say that by naming their son, they were prophets proclaiming a message from heaven. This is the hope of Israel. The Savior said of God, he shall save his people from their sins. The true and only solution to the human predicament is found in this child. All who is to be saved from sin and its terrible consequences must embrace him. Our catechism rightly says, salvation cannot be found in anyone else. It is futile to look for any salvation elsewhere. You can't find salvation in humanistic philosophy, science, education, humanitarian deeds, or any humanly invented ism. Neither can you find salvation in formalistic or false Christianity. Salvation is found in Jesus alone. An English preacher of the 1800's made this pointed remark, listen. There are two ways by which a man may lose his own soul. He may lose his soul by living and dying like a beast, prayerless, godless, graceless, faithless. This is a sure way to hell. Mind that you do not walk in it. He may also lose his soul by taking up some kind of religion. He may live and die contenting himself with false Christianity and resting on a baseless hope. This is the commonest way to hell there is. He goes on. There are multitudes of baptized men and women who give Christ a certain place in their system of religion. But Christ alone is not all-in-all in their souls, no. It is either Christ and the church, or Christ and the sacraments, or Christ and their prayers, or Christ and their own sincerity and charity on which they practically rest their souls. If you are a Christian of this kind, I warn you, your religion is an offense to God. You are changing God's plan of salvation into a plan of your own devising." End quote. Two ways to lose your soul. Living like a beast is an offense to God, yet many people today are doing just that. Embracing a false religious system is is just as offensive to God, yet many people today are doing just that. Our catechism asks the question, do those who look for their salvation and security in saints, in themselves or elsewhere, really believe in the only Savior, Jesus? No. No. Although they boast of being His. By their actions, they deny the only Savior, Jesus. Either Jesus is not a perfect Savior, or those who in true faith accept this Savior, have in Him all they need for their salvation. Both our text and our catechism call us back to that one name, that only name, that precious name, that matchless name of Jesus, He shall save His people from their sins." Brothers and sisters, how was that prophecy fulfilled? How did Jesus save His people from their sins? Surely it was no easy task to save law-breaking God-haters. First of all, the Bible tells us that to save us from our sins, Jesus had to fulfill all the righteous requirements of God's holy law. In other words, He had to live a perfectly righteous life in thought, word, and deed. When you read through this genealogy in Matthew 1, you realize that every person mentioned was a sinner, right? From Abraham down to Joseph, the husband of Mary, all were sinners, liars, deceivers, adulterers, idolaters, and outcasts. There was a prostitute, Rahab, a Gentile from the city of Jericho. Another was from the cursed Moabites, Ruth, the wife of Boaz, the great-grandmother of King David. Another was an adulteress, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. And then there were others, there were others who were unfaithful kings who led the nation of Israel into apostasy. If you took the most godly, most righteous, most faithful person on this genealogy, he or she would still be a sinner. Not even one of them was able to fulfill all the righteous requirements of God's law. Not even one was remotely close to being perfectly righteous in thought, word, and deed. The genealogy is a compelling reminder that all people are defiled and unclean. But at the end of all those names, there's that one name. The name of Jesus. In him was no sin, deceit, rebellion, or departure from the will of God. To save us from our sins, Jesus had to be the lamb without blemish, sinless. He had to fulfill the law of God perfectly to secure the merit necessary for you to be accepted by God. He lived the perfect life of obedience that you could never live so that he could provide you with a righteousness you could never achieve. Through faith in him, his righteousness is transferred to your account so that you are no longer a lawbreaker in God's sight. You are now clothed in his perfection. The Father looks at you, and instead of seeing a law breaking God hater, he sees his own son, the Son in whom he is well pleased. How did Jesus save his people from their sins? By living an impeccably righteous life, He committed Himself to doing the will of His Father, the Lamb, without blemish. Second of all, how did Jesus save His people from their sins? This spotless, perfect, unblemished Lamb would be offered on the altar. And all the sins of His people were transferred to His account at the cross. He was the acceptable sacrifice for our sins, our substitute, who received the punishment due for your sins. He died the perfect for the imperfect, the sinless for the sinful. He paid the penalty for you, which meant that he had to undergo both temporal and eternal death. He had to pay a tremendous price. Suffering the wrath of God to rescue you from everlasting fury. Sir Howard Douglas was regarded as a great soldier, sailor, and leader. He was eventually sent from Britain to Canada as the lieutenant governor of New Brunswick, an important position at that time. During his time as Lieutenant Governor, New Brunswick suffered one of the most terrible natural calamities in our nation's history, the Great Miramichi Fire of 1825. For more than two months, no rain fell over most of New Brunswick. The province sweltered under a hot sun, fire broke out. And driven by strong wind, it it advanced very quickly. A wall of flame 25 miles wide took only nine hours to travel 85 miles. The fire destroyed everything in its path, killing animals and people and leveling homes and farms. About 6,000 square miles were destroyed. Sir Howard himself personally oversaw the rescue efforts And while traveling on horseback through charred and smoldering remains, he came to a place that was strewn with black heaps, which proved to be the ashes of men and women. One of those heaps was the remains of a woman who had laid herself down in a last desperate attempt to cover up and save the infant she was carrying. By a miracle, though the mother was dead, the child was taken alive from beneath her. Douglas described it as the sublimest instance of maternal devotion ever recorded. The sublimest instance of maternal devotion ever recorded. He was greatly impressed by the mother's commitment to saving her infant. The fire fell on her, and the child was saved. Children. That mother took the flames and saved her infant from certain death. Her motherly love was truly commendable. But consider what Jesus has done for you. The fire of God's eternal wrath has fallen upon him at the cross. He bore the flames of God's indignation against sinners so that you may have life. He has shielded you from the fire. How did Jesus save his people from their sins? Our catechism says, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul on the cross. By enduring hellish agony, he delivered his people from the anguish and torment of hell. He bore that anguish and torment in our place. Joseph and Mary probably didn't fully realize it at the time. But when they called their son Jesus, they were uttering a prophetic word. The infant in Mary's womb, the infant born in Bethlehem, was the one who would shield them from the fires of hell, the fires of the fullness of divine anger, the righteous, ever-burning wrath of God. Joseph and Mary needed that Savior and Deliverer. Every man and woman listed in the genealogy of Matthew 1 needed that Savior and deliverer. And brothers and sisters, children, young people, you need that Savior and deliverer. The suffering and death of Jesus was the theme of the Old Testament. Starting with Genesis 3.15, the Old Testament is filled with prophecies concerning his suffering and death. All the Old Testament sacrifices spoke of it. The angel's words to Joseph signaled the fulfillment of all the ancient prophecies. The words were simple, yet they should fill us with wonder. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Dear friends, are you, are you looking away from yourself to Him who is the only and all-sufficient Savior? Are you trusting in the atoning work of Jesus alone? Have you turned penitently and believingly to Him? In His love and mercy, He said, Father, I will cover them and endure their punishment. I will bear their hell, their eternal suffering. Let the fire pass over me." Brothers and sisters, isn't that what we celebrate at the Lord's Supper? For the sake of the suffering and death of Jesus, all our sins are now Forgiven in Him and we are clothed with the perfect righteousness of the Son of God. God has punished our sin in His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, with a bitter and shameful death on the cross. He has borne for us the wrath of God under which we should have perished everlastingly. When he cried out with a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was suffering that eternal death which you deserved. At the Lord's Supper, we celebrate the fact that all our sins are atoned for in him, every single one. There are none too great or too terrible for which he cannot atone. He saves us from every sin that we have ever committed or will commit. What great comfort there is for the believer in that name, Jesus. He saves us from the guilt of sin, from the power of sin, and from the presence of sin when he takes us out of this world to be with him. And he saves us from the consequences of sin when all the brokenness of this life will be healed in the life to come. If there's anyone here this morning, if there's anyone here this morning who has not found refuge in the name of Jesus, I say to you, do not delay another moment. If the Lord Jesus has not covered and shielded you from the fire of God's wrath, then you will face that unending fire yourself because of your sin. The time is short. Do not delay. Don't put it off. Cast yourself under the protective covering of Jesus, and you will be safe forever. He is a loving, perfect complete savior the only savior his name is jesus yahweh is salvation and then having found deliverance in that precious name we must go on to a life of wholehearted devotion it's a name that requires our devotion Understanding what he has done to save his people from their sin should cause us to live our lives in such a way so as to glorify and honor the name of Jesus. If he has saved you, then you have a responsibility to flee from sin, to depart from iniquity, and to live according to his will. If you've been shielded from the fire of God's eternal wrath, then you should be wholeheartedly willing and ready to live for him. His love and compassion are beyond human understanding. That the eternal God would be born of a woman, take upon himself our human nature, live a perfect life in this broken and filthy world, and die a cursed death. That he would do all that for you. Does it not call you to a life of unceasing gratitude and praise? In Matthew 1, Joseph and Mary only had a limited understanding of what their son would do to save his people from their sins. They had the prophetic word, but they probably did not yet comprehend the complete picture. Today, you have the whole story of redemption. The last chapter is written. The great work of salvation is complete. The justice of God is fully satisfied in Jesus The God-man has given himself to bear the penalty and punishment for our sin. He paid the ultimate price. Then dear friends, the only fitting response is that you devote yourself to the service and worship of this perfect savior and deliverer. Live in such a way that the name of Jesus is praised and proclaimed. That name must be honored in our homes, in our families, in our schools, in our businesses, in our daily work, in our university studies, in our shop, in our kitchen, laundry room and barn. Last week I was in a hardware store and I asked the employee, an elderly man, about the price of an item which was posted in a rather confusing manner. He looked at it for a moment, and not being able to figure it out, he proceeded to gruffly take Jesus' name in vain. Not expecting that at all, I was momentarily taken aback, an elderly man in a very gruff manner using the name of Jesus with total disrespect, and being in a store with many Christmas decorations, I said to him, Sir, are you looking forward to Christmas He knew immediately why I asked the question and he looked rather sheepish and I said to him, that name is a very important name and someday we will all have to stand before him. He immediately changed the subject and pretended that nothing had been said at all. Now, perhaps my response at that moment could have and should have been better. Sometimes we look back and we say, I should have said this, or I should have followed up with that. But brothers and sisters, when that great name of Jesus is dishonored, it should trouble us, and it should never be dishonored by us. It should never be dishonored by us. The eternal Son of God became a man to accomplish our salvation that all who are the recipients of His saving grace are to show forth the glory of His name. And so I ask you, do you love the name of Jesus? Is that name precious to you? Does it encourage and comfort you? And does it motivate you to a life of joyful, committed service? Is it your desire to lift up that name is it your hope that others come to know the value power and glory of that name Yahweh is salvation congregation may our lives truly reflect wholehearted devotion to that name which is above every name that beautiful name that wonderful name that matchless name of Jesus Yahweh salvation. Let us pray. Lord we thank you for the matchless name of Jesus. Forgive us when we do not cherish that name as we ought. when we do not lift up that name forgive us when we are negligent and when we go on with the daily affairs of life without reflecting on the privilege that is ours in knowing that in Jesus our sins are taken away we thank you Lord Jesus for coming into this world that you would Save your people from our sins. We desperately need that saving power in our lives. We thank you for living that perfectly righteous life. We thank you for going to the cross to take our punishment that we may be saved. We pray that each one here, knowing all that has been accomplished knowing that we have been shielded from the fire of divine wrath by Jesus Christ. Knowing all these wonderful truths, may we truly devote our lives to him. As we come to this table, fill our hearts with gratitude. Fill our hearts with praise. May our lips declare the glory of our God, Yahweh is salvation. Amen.